right, we're going to shift, jump into the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, get your Bibles out if you would. There's some stacked underneath on the sides of the aisles if you want to have a hard copy as well to kind of work through. Um, somebody told me the other week that they were sort of challenged by Meg's challenge to get a Bible, and they went out and kind of bought this beautiful study Bible that they've been using and bringing, and I want to encourage you to do that. Something about having your own that you can make notes in and underline and you know, kind of just let it um, kind of begin to just to, to absorb that. So we're going to be in, the, in the, the second, third, fourth chapters of Acts, kind of a little bit around. We're, we're looking at the power of Pentecost. What does it mean that, that you know, when, when, when Jesus promises that power would come upon us, you know, we often take that to mean just for the power gifts, you know, like doing big things and healing and miracles and exorcisms and all those things. And all of that's true. There's power for that, but I think if we look through the first several chapters of Acts, we're going to see some other things that we are empowered to do as God's people. We started last week in looking at um, just the very first thing that this new church does when they come out of the gate, when they come out of this room, when the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Um, is to begin to preach. This is what Peter does. He stands up and with boldness begins to proclaim the risen Christ. So that was our first idea, is that we have the power to speak. And my challenge to you last week was that, that as you walk in the fullness of the Spirit, that power to speak will be yours also. It may not be a preaching kind of a gift. It may not be on a street corner kind of a thing. It may be one-on-one -on -one conversations, depending on your, you know, how God has wired you to communicate. But it's going to be a boldness in speaking no matter what. Um, next week, we're going to look at the power to heal. And we're going to see that this is something that, we're, that all through Acts, there is a power for miracles. There's a power to do supernatural things. Um, and we have that same power. Um, and the, the, the week after that, we're going to look at, in fact, we're going to look at something that I think is, is really unpopular. I'd rather it not be there, but it's what I call the power to suffer because there is this element of suffering all through the book of Acts. And the, I think the only reason that the church is able to sustain the kind of persecution that they do is because that they are empowered for that from the very beginning. And the same is going to be true for you and I. But today we're looking at what I call the power to share. The power to share. The preaching and the miracles we notice right away, like what, what Peter did last, um, what Peter, what we read about last week in Acts 2, and then some of the miracles that follow, these inevitably lead to exponential growth in the early church. Several times you'll read the phrase, you know, and, and thousands were added to their number, or, you know, many were added to their number daily. Do you guys see that all throughout? It's not, it's not small incremental growth. It is exponential growth. The church has gone from, you know, several hundred meeting in this room to within, you know, a one-day, two-day, three-day period, it has gone from maybe several hundred to several thousand people. This is exponential growth. And if you ask any pastor, you know, would you like to have that kind of growth? They're all going to say, of course, I'd love to have that kind of growth. Who wouldn't? You know, I thought about that for our own church. You know, we've talked about that even early on as to, you know, what, what, do, we, what, do, we, what do we measure success by at King's Church? And we even debated um, back in January sending out a lot of direct mail, sort of doing a mail, 
you know, a direct mail campaign and just soaking the whole neighborhood with flyers about who we are and, you know, just trying to get as many people in here as possible. And I just sensed that the Spirit of the Lord said, no, you're not ready for that. Grow slow and you'll sustain a lot longer. So that's what we've tried to do. Uh, but in the early, in the early church, they, they didn't have that. They were, they were exploding. They were going from several hundred to several thousand. And it was people who were, they weren't just people who were saying, I believe. This is important. They weren't just people who were saying, yes, I believe. They were people who were saying, I want to belong. And there was a big difference in those two things. To believe is just to believe in your own mind. To belong means I want to be part of something now. And this small gathering of disciples has now a community of people gathering into thousands. And now all of these new converts are coming together saying, what do we do now? You know, I, I, I want to be baptized. I want to be a disciple into this new faith that you're talking about. I want to, you know, I want to participate in this breaking of the bread that you keep talking about. I want to be part of the believers. I want to be in your house for prayer meeting. I want to, I want to Peter, I want to do what you're doing. James, I want to do what you're doing. I want to spend time with you. And you don't have just one or two of these. You have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people now that want to belong to this thing called now the, the, the early church, the church, the followers of Jesus. And the key question then becomes, what kind of community is this little group going to become? What kind, of com what kind of community are we going to become? So they know, first of all, they know, hey, we're going to be a proclaiming kind of community. We know that we've got a message to talk about We've got some things to say to the world that the world needs to hear. And Peter illustrated that last week. They also know that they're going to be a demonstrating kind of community. They're going to be somebody who not just proclaims the gospel, they're also going to be a, a community that's, that, that, that demonstrates its power practically. They're going to be doing miracles and healing and deliverance and all these other kind of things. But they realize that those two things, proclaiming and demonstrating, really mean nothing without this foundation of love, without this foundation of just true fellowship with one another. They remember the words of Jesus just several weeks before in the upper room. Jesus is with them, and he's talking to them. He's trying to sort of prepare them for the days ahead. And Jesus stands up and he says, I, there's a new, a new command I'm about to give to you. And he says, just as I have loved you, you love one another. And he has modeled that for them. He's washed their feet just in the hours before this conversation. Just as I have loved you, love one another. So what, the, the kind of community that they're going to become is, is really one that has to be rooted in this idea of just true Jesus-centered love for one another. As much as they want to proclaim, as much as they want to demonstrate the power, none of that matters if they're really not in this level of family. Like we talk, that's our language here is family. If they're really not a functioning, healthy, spiritual family, then it doesn't matter how well they preach. It doesn't matter how well they teach. It doesn't matter how full of miracles and healing and all this other stuff they are. I feel the same thing about our church. I want to be all about preaching and proclaiming. I want to be, have passionate worship up here. I want to be seeing supernatural things happening every single time we come together. But none of that matters if we're not a healthy family at the foundation of that. 
So that's why, for, honestly, for the last nine months, we've been focusing on building a family. That's, what, that's why we do meals together. That's why we have Friday fellowship. That's why we've been meeting in homes. That's why we just do all these other kind of, just to lay that foundation of we are a family. And I believe it goes back to this. It goes back to the power of Pentecost means we have the power to share with one another. And we're going to talk about what that means. But let me give you three key references from Acts that we're going to read, three places in Scripture they're going to read together that lay this foundation. The first is in Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. And it says this, and they devoted, this is, follows right after Peter's sermon from last week. This is the next thing. And they, these are 3,000 now, 3,000 conversions from his message last week. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that's the first reference to this. That's sort of a summary statement of what's happening now as this church begins to grow. Not only are they preaching and proclaiming, but they are, be, they are being knit together as a family. The second reference is in Acts 4. Flip over to 4, beginning in verse 32. It's a very similar sounding thing. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And the third reference this morning is, is in Acts, or rather in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I'm not going to read all of this. I just want to read like the first um, few verses here. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Flip on down to verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray over these real quick, and then we're going to move on. So, Father, we've read three powerful little glimpses into the life of this fledgling movement of Christ followers. Little glimpses into the kind of community that they wanted to create or that you wanted to create through them. So, Father, let the same Spirit build that in us, whatever that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. So, real quick, flip, flip back to Acts 2. This is, the, this is the, the first one that we read. It 
I want you to notice three things in here that I think are, 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 are pretty key as to, as to the kind of community, what it means to have the power to share, the kind of community they're gonna, that they're going to create. The first notice is this. Notice that there is a true unity of purpose. They know exactly why they're there. Verse 42 and 43 talks about their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, which is, is sort of their term for communion or even just meals together. There wasn't a lot of separation like there is now. And, and to prayer. This is basic discipleship. They knew exactly what their purpose was. They're unified in this. Our purpose as a community is to, is to, is to grow in the faith through studying of the word, through fellowship with one another, and through prayer. And they were committed to this. And I love what it says in verse 43. After, after it says they devoted themselves to these things, verse 43 says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That and, that's a connecting word. That means it's connected to the phrase right before it. That means there's something about these two things that go together. Is it possible that really, that, that, that the overflow of our unity of purpose, or overflow of our commitment to, to being discipled, the, the outcome of that is going to be awe in every heart and signs and wonders? Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I see a connection between those two things. We want to have a lot of signs and wonders happening, but it, it seems that like if we make the priority just being, being disciples of Jesus, the outcome of that is going to be all of these kind of powerful things. So there's a unity of purpose that's there. Notice also there's a sharing of resources. Verse 44 says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I, this, this, is a, this is a troublesome verse in our culture and in our generation. This smacks of, it smacks of socialism, doesn't it? It smacks of communism. We don't like this because we know that, that these verses have been abused all through history. You know, we, the people have stood up and, and, and leaders, of, uh, leaders of nations have tried to sort of take this model and by force implement this and say, by force, everybody needs to, to have no property ownership whatsoever. And that's unfortunate because this was, never, this was never compulsion. It was always by choice. This was something that, that out, of the, out of the overflow of their heart, they would come and they would do this. I don't think this is necessarily meant to be the model it's not meant to be the prescription, rather, for how every Christian community lives out its faith. We're never said that this is how every church needs to be. The church has never believed this. You know, you'll never hear us get up and say, nobody here can own property, bring all of your, you know, sell everything and sell all of your clothes and your cars or whatever else and pile all this stuff right here. That's, that's not what this is about. This is less about the, the how. It really is about the why. They have this attitude, though, of we are giving our lives to this cause. We are investing everything we have into this cause called the kingdom of Jesus. So they're sharing of their resources. They have a heart that overflows in generosity. Thirdly, notice this. There's an intimacy of hospitality. Verse 46 says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. And the home is a, the home is a meaningful place in the ancient Near East. It's a, it's a powerful place for the ancient Jews. The home was sort of like your little mini temple. 
You know, the father was viewed as a priest in his home. The table was viewed as the altar. The home was sort of like his own little temple, and, and every father had a right to sort of carry out, you know, the, the daily offerings and the daily worship. So by opening up your home means there's this, this profound sense of intimacy where, you know, you're inviting people that you don't know very well, 3,000 people all of a sudden. And this is, this, is, this is pushing where they're comfortable. This is pushing the lines of what they're familiar with. But the Spirit is saying, open up your homes. Be, be, be inviting. You know, open up your tables. I think, I think about the power of home even today. You know, I remember I've been in, I've been in, in churches. I've served under pastors and, um, in the past. And in and, and years of ministry, I, I would hear in passing a parishioner say, you know, I've been at this church for... 20 years, and I've never been in the pastor's home. I've never been invited to the pastor's home. I would, I've heard, Megan, we've heard this all, all the time in this sort of distance between the home and the church. And that distance wasn't there in Acts because the home was an extension of the church. There was this sort of shared sense of, of hospitality. You know, we are in this together, brothers and sisters, we, have, we live this faith out 24-7. Come to my table, share, you know, let's, let's break bread together. So this, intimate, in, this sort of this intimacy of hospitality. And the result is a remarkably unified community. These are not, uh, not 3,000 people that are all the same. We know this because Acts 2, the languages that they're speaking are representative of the diversity of people there. There's people from all over, all over different ethnicities and different languages but it's remarkable this community is formed out of these very different people. When I was in, when I was in, when I was in seminary, I, don't, um, I, I was not the best student at all. I got a little bit out of it. You know, I, I did try very hard, but I was not like a straight-A student whatsoever. But I remember one, one, in one class, we were, we were sort of looking at sort of ancient Greek and I remember very little, but I remember that one professor told me, he said, there's something unique about the New Testament. Paul, of course, was writing in Greek, and he said, Paul, you know, in New Testament, there's a whole collection of these very similar-sounding words, the professor said. He said, we call them the soon words because they all begin with this Greek prefix, soon, S-U-N or S-Y-N. And he said, there's a whole collection of these in the New Testament. All over, you see them all over. And he says, what's unique is that these words only appear in the New Testament. In other words, they don't appear in any other Greek classical literature. And I, you know, maybe it was me, maybe it was somebody else that kind of raised their hand and they said, well, okay, what does that mean? The professor said, what that means is that the writers made these words up. They created their own words. And the soon, the prefix soon means together with. And the professor said, let me give you some examples of all of these soon words. He said, there's a Greek word called soon ekmalatos, and it means prisoners together with, he said. He said, you see that word in Romans when Paul is talking and he's, Paul is saying, we are, we are prisoners together. He said, there's another word that says soon antelambani. It means bearing with one another. He said, there's another word that seems that says soon armologio. It means fit together with one another. 
Soon, basileo means reigning together with. Soon, eklektos means chosen together with. Soon, kakopathos means to bear evil treatment alongside. There's a whole word they made up just for that idea, to bear evil treatment alongside. And Paul makes up this word to describe that. Sukler onamos means fellow heirs with. Sumsukos means to be of one mind with. I began to think about that, you know, even, even in the years following. What is the significance of that? I think what Paul was trying to do is he's, he's making up these words. He's creating this kind of idea that whatever we're doing, we need to do it together. It's not enough just to suffer for the gospel. We need to be suffering together for the gospel. It's not enough just to burden, not to, to, to sort of to bear the weight of the responsibility of things. We do it together. It's not enough just to, you know, to, 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 to be chosen together with. We need to be chosen. Um, it's not enough to be chosen. We're also chosen together with. It's not enough just to bear evil treatment. Let's come together and to do that. I think, I think he's exactly right. Whatever we do, we're doing it together. So let me just throw at you five application things real quick from this. Five things that I think that we have the power to share. And they're easy to remember. The first two start with T. The first three, rather, start with T. The first is treasure. And that's the most obvious one. You know, that's, that's what... That's what Acts 2 talks about. They're selling their possessions and belongings. That's what Acts 4 talks about. No one said that any of his things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There's a clear mandate that we are to share the treasures that we have with one another. And this is not about like just tithing and giving. I'm just, don't, don't connect those in your mind. You know, but if you have material resources, Pentecost is giving you the power and the challenge to invest those into the kingdom. Whatever you have, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is his. You're a steward of it. You are to invest it into the kingdom. I think the second thing that we have the power to share is our talents, the things that we have, you know, that are non-tangible, like, you know, what are we good at? Brian is great at playing keys. He's sharing that with the body. I'm great at making coffee, and if you come to my house, I'll share that gift with you. What skills do you have that you can share with the church, share with, 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 with your family? What spiritual gifts do you have that you can share? What abilities, what passions do you have that God has said, that's something that you can share, that's something that you can offer, that's something that you can serve with, your talents. Third is your time. You can give of your time. You can share of your time. And this is, off, honestly, this is the hardest one because our time in, in our culture is the first thing to get sucked up. Got a thousand things going on. I feel that. I feel the weight of that every week. I feel like, where's the time gone? 
You know, I blink and it's already Thursday and Friday and I've not done half the things that I want to do. The Bible says, redeem the time for the days are evil. Take hold of the time. Steward the time well. Manage our time well. That's a challenge to myself. It's also a challenge to you. We need to be stewards of our time as well. And the last two, um, the, the fourth one is, I want to challenge you to share your hurts. And what I mean by that is to be, is to practice emotional vulnerability with one another. And for some of us, that's easier than others. Some personality types, you know, Megan, Meg's kind of been looking at some personality type indicators and making me go through it and Emma go through it. And, you know, we're realizing that there's a lot of different personality types where some things become easier than others. And I know that emotional vulnerability might be one of those. But I think there's something powerful about being willing to share really what's going on. Share your hurts with one another. That doesn't mean you just spew out like a volcano every time somebody asks you what's going on, but it means that you have people. And when people ask you and when your brothers and sisters ask you really how things are going on, you're willing to let that mask down and to say, you know what, I'm really not having a great week. I'm really struggling with some things. Share that. The power of the Spirit gives you the power to be emotionally vulnerable. And the fifth, the fifth thing I think that we can share is, I mentioned this before, is our home. And by home, I don't necessarily just mean, hey, here's my house and come in. I just mean those parts, those, those, those parts of our life that we kind of want to keep segmented away. You know, share your family, share your kids. I'll be glad to share my kids with you. <laughs> I'll put up a sign-up sheet in the back. Share your home. Open up your home. Invite somebody over for lunch. Invite somebody over for dinner. Get to know somebody that you don't know very well. Be in the habit of using your home as a means for discipleship, as a place for discipleship. Even if you think your home is not the best, it doesn't matter. Nobody's home is the best. As great as your house might be, somebody always has a better house. As dirty as you feel like your house might be, somebody's always dirtier. You're not going to win that fight in your mind, so don't. Do your best and move on from it. But don't allow this, fear, this, this perfectionism to keep you from using the tool that God has given you. It's a powerful place where you really can go deeper into the faith with people. Maybe God's calling you to kind of start a Bible study or, or something like that. The home is a great place to do that. Share your treasure, share your talents, share your time, share your hurts, share your home. I love this verse, and I'm going to close with this. I, I want to let this resonate. Brian, come on up. We're done. This is a pretty quick sermon. I kind of think I came in in 25 minutes. Beautiful. I'll never do that again. I'll make up for it. Listen to this. We're going to end with this, though. Now, the full... I've already said this before, but uh, it's, it's, this is 32. I want you to listen to verse 33. I'm going to read 32 first. Now, the full number of those who believed, say full number, were of one heart and soul. Say one heart and soul. 
And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. So notice it doesn't say that nobody owned anything. In this verse, it doesn't say that. It simply talks about how they understood their possessions. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I got to tell you, I think that's a great posture to be in for you and I. For us to say, look, I've been blessed material in this world, but nothing that I have is truly my own. It all belongs to the king. It's all his. That's another sermon altogether. But they had everything in common. Here's what I want to land. Verse 33, and with great power, say great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great power and great grace. I'd love for that to be the mark of King's Church. I think they're beautiful. I think there's these two complementary halves that are, that are needed. I do want to see great power. I want to see supernatural things happening here all the time. I want to see every one of you walking with Pentecostal power. I think it's there. I think God is offering it. I want to see gifts of healing and miracles rising up out of this church. I want to see people being delivered of addictions in our church. I want to see people set free. That's great power, but I also want to see great grace, you know? I want to see people hugging one another, getting together for meals and coffee, for sitting down, for talking, for sharing. I want to see like some of our older people down on their knees talking with our littlest kids. I want to see people that I thought had nothing in common coming together and laughing and sharing and, and just investing in one another. That's great grace right there. I want both of those. Don't give me one without the other. I think both are part of the kingdom. Amen? All right, stand up, friends. Let me read a couple words of knowledge for us, and we're going to wrap up with some music, worship, ministry time. Megan, Sarah, do you guys want to be over here for prayer? Lynn, do you want to join them? Can you join them over here? Some words of knowledge that I have for, um, for healing this morning. I can find it. Um, someone has a hip disorder, maybe deterioration in the joint. Um, a word about colitis. I will heal someone of allergies. Those are three physical ones. Here's some other ones. I will combine two worlds for someone. Play and work will be combined. Maybe that resonates with where you are. Number, uh, another one, I will send someone to many nations in their life. I'll seal their future. I'm giving someone a gift of mercy. Someone is going through a tricky situation and I'm leading them. I'm removing the burden that is keeping someone from following me. Also a word about deliverance from self-hatred. If you struggle with that or someone that you love is struggling with that, um, we, we can pray for breakthrough in that area. We also have a word about lung damage. Um, someone feels silenced. God wants to give you a voice. And finally, a, a word about corporate prayer for Lexington. In fact, I want to ask if you're not being prayed for up here as we go into worship time, if, if there's not anything else specific, I want to, let, I want to ask that to be your prayer is that God will continue to raise up um, 
houses of prayer and, and, and intercessors in Lexington for the days ahead. Amen. All right, Brian, lead us.